1: Greetings, SoCal sports fans. This is Inside the Rams House, your L.A. Rams podcast, where we offer news, insights, and opinions on the L.A. Rams with a sprinkling of coverage of other L.A. sports teams. You can reach us at insidetheramshouse at gmail.com if you have anything specific you'd like us to cover or any feedback you would like to provide. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everybody. This is episode 4, March 8th, 2021, Inside the Rams House. Today, we got a sprinkling of SoCal news to share before we get into our Rams segments. And just a reminder, you can reach us at insidetheramshouse at gmail.com. Please reach out to us if there's things you think we should be covering or any insights you want to provide. Let's get through our local sports news before we get to our segments. Spring training's underway, as most of you know, and the bigger news coming out of the baseball world is Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has reached out to Major League Baseball and the local teams and health officials, and apparently, we will be seeing actual fans at Dodger games and Angel games in April. No more cardboard cutouts, at least. Maybe there will be a few. I don't know how they're going to handle this. There will be limited capacity, obviously, in the stadiums, but even that, that's going to be a big boost to our SoCal community. In other news, Arizona Cardinals have signed J.J. Watt. We were expecting him to sign with one of the leading Super Bowl contenders. Instead, he has opted for likely the fourth place team in the NFC West. So, Okay, JJ, we get it. One more thing before we get to our RAM segments. Fun game at Poly Pavilion. USC pulled off a stunning win over UCLA. The Bruins had controlled most of the game, led late, and USC inbounded a ball underneath the UCLA's basket with a second left. They got the shot off, three pointer to win the game. Man, it was uh it was tough. Someone mentioned to me that the inbounder had ran the baseline illegally, at least took a couple steps, but that's rarely called. Not a big deal. It's probably good that they didn't call that. So the Pac-12 ends with Oregon on top, USC and UCLA, and Colorado will all also make the NCAA tournament in all likelihood. This result from the other day isn't really that significant. It's just the pecking order. For the final league standings in the tournament. Oregon actually has a big asterisk next to their league title. They did not have to make their SoCal swing trip at USC and at UCLA. They actually played fewer games than the Bruins or the Trojans. uh, So that actually ended up helping them. But they deserve it. Not to take anything away from them. And we'll see all four of those teams in the tournament along with... San Diego State, and potentially you see Santa Barbara, who leads the Big West, and what a turnaround they've had there. Coach Joe Pasternak took over uh, a team that had won six games. Since then, he's led the Gauchos to records of twenty-three and nine, twenty-two and ten, twenty-one and ten, and as of right now this season, nineteen and four. Hopefully, a few more wins to come. So that's an interesting development there. Hopefully, the Gauchos can keep him there because he's obviously doing an incredible job. You have to start wondering if he's going to get offers elsewhere. Our main segments today, we will be covering an interesting perspective regarding the state of quarterback play in the NFL that bodes well for the Rams. We'll also look at how the Rams may be filling that void created by the departure of Leonard Floyd, who's going to be their primary edge rusher. And we'll also have our Sports Pet Peeve of the Week. And a new item we're introducing, four questions for a guest. That should be a lot of fun. There's a lot of churn across the NFL regarding quarterbacks, quarterback movement, quarterbacks potentially getting drafted early and often in the upcoming NFL draft, quarterbacks threatening to hold out, quarterbacks demanding to be traded. It started a conversation with someone I know, a listener, who pointed out some interesting facts about the quarterback situation across the NFL. And what he pointed out bodes very well, potentially, for the Rams. And what he asked was, he proposed this question. How many NFL coaches, general managers, or fan bases can look in a mirror and honestly say, I'm content with my quarterback situation over the next five years? So let's try to answer that question. And the way we did it was we created five different categories. Actually, six. The six is the most important one, actually. The first category is those consists of those extremely talented quarterbacks, but we can't really count on them being around in five years. I know you're all going to say, hey, look at Tom Brady, but is Tom Brady going to be playing in three, four years from now? I think he'd, uh, the odds are against that. And I would actually put four quarterbacks in that category, representing four teams, of course. That'd be Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, and Big Ben. Big Ben, as you, most of you probably know, just re signed for the upcoming season, so he'd be with the Steelers again. But all of these guys are trailing off, or we can realistically expect them to trail off over the next few years. Probably the biggest question mark would be Rodgers. He could have a couple more good seasons for sure. Five more? I don't know. I I think if he asked any Packer fan, they would be concerned about his longevity. And they'd also be concerned if uh, he really is going to want to end his career elsewhere. So there's four quarterbacks representing representing four teams. The second category are good quarterbacks but are those teams really satisfied with their performance? And I would include in that group uh, Jimmy G of the Niners, Jared Goff of the Lions. It's difficult to say that. Jared Goff of the Lions. Yes, you heard that right. Derek Carr of the Raiders, Kirk Cousins with the Vikings, and Teddy Bridgewater with the Panthers. Now, the thing is with especially Carr and Cousins and even Bridgewater I think they're all pretty darn good quarterbacks. Goff, too, as well. But I believe the fan base appears to be unhappy with their performance. And it could be a case, much like Jared Goff, the quarterback's just getting more blame than they deserve. I haven't seen enough film on any of these guys. I haven't watched enough games. But the general feeling I get is, regardless of how good these guys are, most of their fans and probably their coaches are looking for the next great thing to replace all of them. So there's five. Or so we're up to nine teams represented that we can say probably will not have that cannot honestly say they feel comfortable with the quarterback situation over the next five years. The next category includes Teams that I just have no idea what they're doing, which probably means they have no idea what they're doing, or perhaps we expect them to pick quarterbacks in the upcoming draft. And one thing about this is the one point of disagreement I had with my friend is he would not put Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence in this category, but I I argued that yes, regardless of how fantastic everybody's expecting him to be, we cannot say right out of the gate that he is the real deal he probably is but let's let's pump the brakes a little bit on it and at least let them take a snap before we say they got their guy for five years the other teams i put in that category washington chicago denver miami new england so there's another six teams some of those teams you know who knows i mean chicago could end up with russell wilson but that's not the case yet And New England, I really don't know what they're doing. Miami, are they going to roll with Tua? They're certainly questioning internally whether he is the guy, just like the rest of us are. Okay, so that moves us up to 15 teams and their quarterbacks. The next category is just not sure, just not sure what's going on here. Maybe, maybe not is how I'd categorize it. And included in that group are the Eagles, who have Hurts, but could very well draft another quarterback. The Giants with Daniel Jones. It's too early to give up on him, but it's also too early to say he is not the guy, in my opinion. The New York Jets and Sam Darnold. He's another guy. He looked pretty darn good against the Rams. The only time I really watched him. Taysom Hill with the Saints and Carson Wentz with the Colts just don't know if Carson Wentz for example returns to his rookie and year 2 form he could be the guy but hard to put a large amount of money on that bet so there's another five teams now the next category is a little a little dicey and in that category uh these are the quarterbacks that apparently want to move or could move if they they were allowed, and in that group I include Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and Deshaun Watson. The thing is, is these three guys are going to represent three teams, we just don't know which ones, but still, I don't think any of these three teams could categorically say we have our guy for five years, and I think that's a realistic statement. So that leaves seven quarterbacks that you can really count on. And interestingly, there's five in the AFC. There are five quarterbacks in the AFC where those teams can honestly look us in the eye and say, we got our guy for five years. Those teams are the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Bills, the Browns, the Bengals, the Titans, and the Ravens. The one that I was on the fence with is uh, Ryan Tannehill with the Titans. But he, from what I have seen, the fan base loves him. The coaches love him. and And he's played well. So let's leave him in that group. That reduces us to two teams in the NFC who can make the reasonable argument, the sane argument, that they have their guy for five years coming. And those two teams are the Rams and the Cardinals. And that's it. The funny thing about that is, is I am not sold on Kyler Murray. He has to prove to me that he can play without running. He can produce without running because he's going to have to produce without running. And he, he tweaked his ankle against the Rams. And what happened? They had no shot. They had no shot with Murray's legs. But still, he's... Shown that he can produce. He's had some great games. He's still a young guy. And I think the Cardinals are going to tell you he's their guy for five years. And then there's, of course, Stafford with the Rams. Uh, at his age, I think it's reasonable to expect to say he he's the guy for five years for the Rams. And I just think uh, I wanted to share this because, I mean, it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling about the Rams' future over the next few years. There's a lot of teams that would love to be in their situation. A veteran but not aging quarterback, Matthew Stafford, quality guy, super talented, great leader, joining this great roster that they built. And as, as you've seen here, there's really only two teams in the NFC at the moment that can say that. So just wanted to share that with everybody. It's an interesting perspective, I think and one that, um, like I said, bodes well for the Rams and does not bode well for any team in the AFC as they continue to load up with talented young quarterbacks, and we're probably going to see some more of that in the upcoming draft. Last week, we discussed the Rams' offensive line and the prospects for improvement moving into next year. And as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about the pass rush, specifically the edge rush position, formerly occupied by Leonard Floyd. Now, in my opinion, Floyd benefited greatly by the presence of Aaron Donald, as, it, as did Dante Fowler the year before. Which raises the question, you know, what, how much talent do they really need at that position? Regardless, Floyd had a great year, was very productive, and the Rams have to be concerned about filling that void. What really makes it difficult to answer this question, though, is with the new defensive coordinator Morris coming in, how much of the Rams' 3-4 defense is going to remain intact? I suspect most of it. But we could see some hybrid 4 3 3 4 defense next year. And that begs the question what do they need at that edge slash outside linebacker slash defensive end position? My, I am, I'm inclined to believe that because Morris is coming in, they might be looking for a more versatile type player that can play a stand up. 4-3 defensive end or play as an a true edge rusher like Leonard Floyd did. And they might actually have that guy in house, but first let's take a quick look at some linebackers, uh, outside linebackers, edge rusher type guys that could be available to them on the free agent market. The only way they're going to get one of these guys given the salary cap situation is someone that wants to come in and uh, play for a ring. They're not going to be able to pay top dollar if that's what they're expecting to get. And the three guys that come to mind are Jadavion Clowney, Melvin Ingram, and of course bringing Leonard Floyd back. All of these guys are long shots to join the Rams, but if one of them did, problem solved. Personally, I'd love to see Clowney come on board for one year. That would be a sight to see playing alongside Donald. The only guy on their team that I think that can really fill that slot is Terrell Lewis. The reason Lewis fell into the Rams' lap in the first place uh, last year in the draft was because of injury concerns, and those did come to fruition. He missed a lot of time with various injuries, odd, odd injuries that even the Rams and Lewis could not figure out. But when he was on the field, he looked like the real deal. He looked like that guy That could fill that slot. He ended up with um, five tackles and two sacks. Again, in limited time. He's 6'5", 263. If it weren't for the injury concerns, he probably would have been a first-round pick. So, we don't know where his health is at this point. But if he rounds into good physical shape and the Rams feel like they can count on him, he could be the guy. So, um That's what they have in-house, really, is Terrell Lewis. We talked about the free agents that might be available to them. Aside from that, they really have to look at the draft. And what I I have seen, recently anyways, is to get a really impact-edge rusher, it's got to be someone in the second or third round. So I wanted to briefly talk about a few guys that I liked. The highly graded players will not be available to them, unfortunately drafting in the second round and third round, here's a few guys that I like that they might have shot at. One is Joe Tryon, 6'4", 255 out of Washington. Uh, He can play the 4'3", defensive end. He can play outside linebacker. He's explosive off the edge. And uh, with the correct coaching, the draft reports I've seen indicate that he could end up being an elite player. He's very versatile, and a lot of these guys are going to mention. You're going to, It's going to be a common thread here. They're versatile guys, and I'm guessing that, that's something Morris is going to want, uh, if he plays a three-four or four-three hybrid. He wants someone that he can plug in at the defensive end slot, and also stand up and rush in a three-four set, and Tryon fits the bill. Another guy is Deo Odeyingbo. I apologize if I'm getting that name wrong Vanderbilt six six two sixty five he can virtually play anywhere he's an athlete he's great against the run he's very agile great athleticism lends itself to being a great pass rusher and again he's a versatile guy that can um that would really be an asset along that ram's defensive front Another guy is Hamilcar Rashad, Oregon State 6'3", 264. Another guy that offers a lot of flexibility, very versatile. And he's uh, he's one of those chase and run guys. Great speed, relentless motor. He's a guy to look for. Would be there probably in the second, third round as well. Those are the three guys I see. And a lot of people have talked about Carlos Basham. He's getting... A lot of pub, probably moving up the boards. And personally, I don't think he's a great fit for the Rams. And everybody loves him. A lot of good tape on him. He's more of a power guy, strong at the point of attack. Very limited, though. He's probably be limited to a defensive end in a 4-3. So he's a guy that I know he's getting talked up a lot, especially in Ram Nation. Not a big fan. I'm sure he'll be a good player somewhere but I don't think he's the guy the Rams will be focusing on. Another guy, Joseph Osai out of Texas, 6'3", 245, a little smaller. Probably more of a three four edge rusher. He had 54 tackles and 5-section, 3-forced fumbles in this past season. The last guy I wanted to talk about is Chris Rumpf out of Duke, 6'4", 235. And the reason I mention him is he's a coach's son. The Rams seem to gravitate towards those guys that have that coaching gene in their family. Uh, He's a great player. A lot of the uh, draft procrastinators are having trouble figuring out exactly where he's going to play. Probably be more of a situational pass rusher. But that's a guy the Rams could use. I think the other guys I mentioned earlier are probably better fits for the Rams, but I bring up Runf. Primarily for two reasons. He's got terrific technique, and he brings great effort. And the, again, the fact that he's the coach's son, that's something that's something the Rams will probably be aware of and care about. That's it for the edge rushers. We'll have more in another episode as we get closer to the draft, revisiting all of these positions, trying to identify one or two guys the Rams might be honing in on at various positions. It'll also help to revisit this after the salary cap situation is settled and the Rams address anything they can in free agency. So this is just a very early look. We'll have more, like I said, in a later episode. Next week, we'll take a quick look at the running back situation for the Rams. In a moment, we'll close out this episode with another sports pet peeve of the week. But first, our four questions with our guest of the week. In our SoCal sports segment, we mentioned the signing of JJ Watt. We mentioned the Lakers struggling a little bit lately. And we also talked about that incredible ending to the UCLA USC basketball game. And I have a guest today who will be joining us periodically. And we're going to be asking Matt Burns four questions. And Matt's very knowledgeable about the Rams. Basketball, sports in general. So, uh, be interesting to see what he has to say. I just had one question for you, Matt. Are you worried about the Lakers? No, they're they're not healthy. As soon as they're at full strength, I'm not concerned. And how do you feel about JJ uh, Watt joining the Cardinals? What does that elevate them above any of the other NFC West teams? No, he has like five sacks in the last two years. Man, I lo- I'm loving your answers right now. I'm loving it. And <laughs> let's see. You saw the end of the UCLA-USC game. And do you think they should have called the the inbounder for traveling on the inbound? Or uh, do you think that was – would that have been a – No, that was that would have been cheap. Could you imagine if you were a USC fan and they yeah. called that at the end of the game? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> We've seen two games uh, UCLA played. UCLA twice this year has lost heartbreakers like that, but they're a tough team. Uh, They play great defense, they play hard, they got great coaching. Have you done any research on the NFL draft yet? Uh, Not research, but I've watched highlights of players that I'm curious of, mainly just... uh... Guys that should be going in the first round, and then maybe some receivers that the Rams could get and later. What, what do you it. think right now? Who do you think the Rams... What position would you have there? Assuming no free agent signings, uh, no Leonard Floyd, and no Troy Hill, what position do you think the Rams should target in the second round? I assume center and would be Would be at the top of the list. Or possibly guard and move uh, Corbett to center. Right. That's kind of what we covered last week. Okay. Thanks for letting me put you on the spot. Um, We'll have you back uh, next week. I'm not going to talk anymore about the Lakers. Last time I talked about them, they went on a four game losing streak. So I'm going to leave that alone. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Matt. We'll talk to you maybe next week out here. Time for our sports pet peeve of the week. This one has been gnawing at me for a while. I'm a common sense kind of guy, and that's why this one bothers me. There is a statistic in the NFL called points off of turnover. And what that means is if a team, if team A commits a turnover and team B on the ensuing possession, scores points, those points are considered points off of turnovers. Now, I think that's too broad of a definition, and in fact, it's kind of silly. Let me present a situation for you. The Rams have the ball at their own 38, third and 17. They decide to take a shot. The Seahawks intercept at the six-yard line. Guy runs out of bounds. So it's first and ten for the Seahawks at their own six-yard line. Ninety-four yards to go. They put together a 12-play drive and then kick a field goal from the 30-yard line. Those are considered points off of a turnover. And to me, it's just... It's kind of silly if you think about it, because in some situations, the turnover was a good thing, or the turnover was a result of a desperate situation by the offense, and it wasn't a costly turnover, like a, tur- a fumbled ball inside your own 10 that leads to a touchdown. And there's a lot of scenarios like this, where teams teams take a chance late in a game Or just a long distance third down, even a fourth down. There are fourth down plays where teams may go for it, fourth and five. And instead of losing the ball on downs, they throw an interception or they fumble the ball. The other team takes over possession just like they would have if it were fourth down. The other team goes down and scores, and it's considered points off of a turnover. What I would propose is making it just a little more restrictive. What I would do is only count it as points off of a turnover if the team that's intercepting or recovering the fumble begins their possession outside of their own 40 or perhaps on the other team's side of the field. So, for example, a strip sack that results in the recovering team starting their possession at the 5, 10, or 15-yard line of their opponent is definitely points after turnover if they go on and score. But if a strip sack that gives them the ball at their own 20 would not. So where the line of scrimmage is prior to the turnover would not matter. The only thing that matters is where that new possession for the recovering or intercepting team begins. I would say that the turnover cannot occur on fourth down for it to be considered points off of a turnover. Two simple rules. You know, if you fumble the ball at the 32, another team drives down and scores. Wouldn't they have been in the same situation if you had scored a touchdown and kicked off? They'd have the same distance to drive, more or less, seven yards difference. But because they gained possession at their own 25 or 30-yard line following an interception or a fumble those are considered points off of a turnover. Maybe it's just that the name is misleading, the term is is misleading. Maybe they just need to change the term. But if they're going to call it points off of turnover, they need to change the rules which govern what points are considered points off of turnover. I'd also add that the one thing that's missed completely in this collection of stats off of turnovers is the opportunity at points lost by the team that turns the ball over. When my team turns a ball over at the opposition's 15-yard line and turns around and drives 85 yards for a score, yeah, okay, go ahead and call that points off a turnover if you want. I wouldn't. But the thing that isn't captured is the opportunity at points lost. We basically had three points in the bag there, and potentially seven points, but that's not really tracked. To me, that's a more significant stat than the fact the team drove 85 yards after that fumble and scored, and we're calling that points off of a turnover. The way we do it now is stupid. They need to fix it. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Remember, you can reach us at InsideTheRamsHouse at gmail.com if you want to provide any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Next week, we plan on covering the running back situation with Rams and anything else that may come up between now and then that will be of interest to Rams fans. Thanks again for joining us. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, Have some fun.